Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. Yeah, so uh, Ray Ray grew up in church. I did not grow up in church. Like she was, uh, he was a heathen. Uh, <laughs> I, a little bit. <laughs> Some of that's true. But my best friend uh, Willis, this is in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. His father is a pastor of a local church there, and uh, I'd actually been going through like a really hard time in my life, and they invited me to come to this church. And uh, like most teenage boys in church. I absolutely was not in church to hear a message or anything <laughs> like that. The first day I was there, I was sitting up in the balcony, and it's on a Sunday morning, and I saw this like super cute girl who acted like she was the boss. <laughs> <laughs> she it's it's hilarious to me when I think back on it because she was like I don't know if she was like the president of the Sunday school. The president. I was the Sunday school secretary. <laughs> <laughs> but she was like, she just she just walked around with a lot of authority. I just saw her down there, and right away she just had like an energy that I had never seen before. She was so cute, and she always wore like these spunky hats. So I saw this cute girl who was acting like the boss. She was even on the mic, <laughs> you know. And uh, so I asked my friend uh, Willis uh, who who that was, and he told me a little bit about her. I don't think we talked that Sunday, but that was my first time seeing her. No, the first time we talked, we were doing like the Christmas play, and I was playing like the part of a lawyer. And so after church, uh, the pastor's wife like would gather up a few teenagers and take us to lunch at the mall or something. And he tagged along, and we were kind of like sitting in the back seat together, and you know, just kind of getting to know each other a little bit. I had a boyfriend at the time, and I was actually Christmas shopping for my boyfriend's gift. Yeah, yeah. So I had a girlfriend friend she had a boyfriend but we liked each other like there was a little little chemistry there from the beginning where I dug I dug you but it was a few more months before we he was so slow moving <laughs> like uh we he would come to choir rehearsal he didn't sing but I sang in the choir and he would come with the the preacher and the preacher's wife sometimes and he would come and just sit there and I'm thinking okay after after this is over he's gonna like come talk to me and like ask me out and he would come talk to me and he didn't ask me out for like months it took forever and finally you like he's very shy you know kind of in a roundabout way asked me if I wanted to go to the movies I was so young um, I was 15 and my mom was like a full-on part of the process like saying what movies I could and couldn't go see because we wanted so this to give you some time this was in 1997 so we wanted to go see Love Jones and her mother was like oh no no y'all not, <laughs> not gonna go see Love Jones and my uh, grandmother was a part of the conversation <laughs> like right. everybody had something to say about it every you see I didn't grow up in the context of a black family and so this notion that like every decision that she was making about dates with me it was a family decision <laughs> and like her mother and her grandmother 
who eventually adopted me into the family and I came to love so much, they were in all of our business. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like when we got home, when I got her home, where are we going to eat? And so now that now that we're parents, now I understand why they cared so much. But I remember back then I was thinking, oh, these folk are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they were a little crazy. Yeah, but uh, we went to go, that was our first date. We went With to the Taco Bell. Yeah, but <laughs> we went to the movies and went to Taco Bell. But like for me, like a high school senior, that was like a big deal. And um, we have literally been together ever since. That's, we're going on 21 years. I'm 37 and uh, I just turned 38. Oh yeah. yeah. I just turned 38 a couple days ago. <laughs> We've been together now for our entire adult lives. Did you go to Spelman and Morehouse to be together? Everybody always yeah. wants to know that. And I'm very clear to say, absolutely not. It was just one of those things that kind of worked out. When I met him, he was actually a senior, had I think already even been accepted to Morehouse. And one of the things that brought us together was I was already interested in Spelman. Um, it was like my dream school. Right. And so to find this guy, go to the same church, same hometown, and he's going to Morehouse and I already wanted to go to Spelman. And so it was actually really cool. He got there to Morehouse. He's two years older than me. And he was a really big part of the process of helping me through the application process, um, you know, filling out paperwork, coming for visits. And he actually came and picked me up and moved me into my dorm. My mom's a single mother. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of resources and family support. And so like literally he drove up from Atlanta and one day we packed up his car um, and he drove me down. He moved me into my dorm he even had to take me to go get my immunizations like I didn't even have all of that he was like my dad no 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 I think on the papers I was like signing like I was your dad yeah. <laughs> no like because we did that in college a couple of times we had this really funny story I was really doing badly in one of my classes oh. it wasn't me it was the professor she was you gonna get you're gonna get us in trouble okay. it was so long ago okay you think I should tell it all right okay um, you got the degree now. Okay, I got the degree now. But, um, and the <laughs> professor was crazy. And so when it came time to give grades, there was like a long line outside of her door because everybody wanted to dispute their grade. And I'm like about to fail her class. So somehow I go in and I have this conversation with her and it didn't go well. I call him and he is, he's a preacher at the time, but he was not all the preacher that he said he was to the professor. She was like, it was like an African-American church music class. So she's really into church world. So then he gets on the phone with her, tells her he's this preacher at, at the church we're attending and he'd love to have her out to the church to like play music and like lead the choir or whatever. What, okay, what grade did you have in the class? I don't know. I probably had like a D or something. And she changed the grade. She did. We can't we can't have that on. That's gonna get, that's, that's gonna get somebody fired. <laughs> but, but he was always like when I say he was like my dad is because little stuff like that. He was always kind of like coming to my rescue, and um, he's always well, been we, so we old. Always, yeah. I was an old soul, but you know, part of like we were with each other through every phase of life, and so. We're dating as high school students. We're dating as young college students. And so we're seeing each other through all of these difficult phases of life. And sometimes like these are wonderful stories, 
sometimes it was incredibly difficult because most of the time when you're a high school student or you're a college student, you're a young adult, you're single and you're kind of working through these things on your own. And so like we had highs and lows as young people who were in this committed relationship trying to be adults and responsible, but also just being young. And so uh, it's given us like we're grounded because we've been together through every phase of life. But it was fun, but it was stressful sometimes. Yeah. And it was like my teenagers are always like cause they don't date. And they're like, but it worked out for you and dad. You guys have been together since high school. And I'm like, well, like we're like an anomaly. Like that doesn't actually really happen so much. And kind of like what Sean's saying, I'm not sure it's such a good idea to be so committed so early on. Yeah. It, it worked for us. We were what each other needed at the time. Um, and we've been able to work through and all the changes that happened from 15 to 36. We started adulting way before we knew how to be adults. And I think- Isn't that everybody? No, yeah, 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 <laughs> no, it is standard, but I mean, we, gosh, I think we were just 18 or 19 where we tried to move in with each other. <laughs> And it was a disaster. That I mean, was it was a, a it was a complete total disaster. I was so excited because I had just graduated from high school, and I'm like, okay, I'm grown now. I'm on my own. It's so, this was right. Oh, this was the summer before this you started. This was the summer Spelman. before I started as I had my own. I had my own apartment. Yeah. First off, my friends and I we were so excited to move off campus freshman year, and we didn't know Atlanta, and so we didn't know that the apartment that we were getting was in like the absolute hood. Like we didn't know it. Like we should have known it was a three bedroom apartment. It was like $490 a month. <laughs> and like, no, like it legitimately was like $490 a month, which to us back then, this is 1998, still even to us sounded like a lot of money. And so we got the apartment. Our apartment literally got broken into like a week after we moved in. And then a few weeks later, uh, we were in love and I was like, you know, we had the idea for her to move in with me and it was, it was a disaster from the beginning. You know, I, I had never shared anything with anybody. We had never shared space like that. It was just ridiculous. I was just so excited that I had graduated from high school right. on my way to college. Now I'm grown. And so I had this plan. I remember my mom was like standing on the porch crying as I was leaving. And I was like, no big deal, mom. I'll see you in a little bit. I don't know why you're crying. And next thing I know, a couple months later, I'm on the phone with her crying. Like, can I please come home? Like, this was a bad idea. I think if I look back over all, like that was one of those times where I think we barely made it through. <laughs> yeah. If there were several times where we barely made it, that was one of those times where we could have gone our separate ways. I don't really think it was that. I, I mean, we didn't think about whether or not it was us that was working, wasn't working, or there was a situation. I think we really needed each other. And I think that we were really emotionally 
invested in each other um, at a ver very early age. I mean, he was coming out of a really difficult circumstance in high school where he had been assaulted, um, kind of felt like very much like an outsider. And I was growing up in a situation, I had a great mom, my mom was wonderful, but it was just her. And so I was taking care of myself in so many different ways. And here I had this guy who was like dependable, he was mature, he was safe, he was stable. And, and so I think that we became emotionally dependent on each other in a way that just kind of wouldn't even let us let us let go when we probably should have you know at 15 and 16 years old it's just it's a lot um, to take on at such a young age but I think it was our kind of our, our dependency on each other that that kind of pushed us and we, lo and we loved each other I mean we we love being around each other we love mm -hmm. we have we've always had just a ton of fun with one another. We, wherever we've lived, even when we were young, we've always been explorers, like to experience the cities where we've been. We've always taken trips and road trips and vacations. And even, even when we were young and could hardly afford it, we've always kind of explore things together and so we both like to read. We yeah. both love church. I mean, we had so much in common. I don't remember what the conversation was. I think I went down there and I thought, okay, he expected me to help contribute with the bills. I mean, did I? It, you did, you did. You expected me look, again. It was like $500 a month split between three people, but I was supposed to do my part. So I thought, okay, that'll be easy. No problem. I've been working I in high school. I yes. I expected you to pay the bills. Not, no, not pay the bills. You expected me to contribute to the bills, like help out with the rent. It, it was a crazy story. His friends were rappers. Okay. <laughs> and so that summer, they also had the bright idea to move their rap group into the apartment. So it's all these guys and me. And so one of them had a there girl. Like 10 of us. It was crazy. Yeah, and they were broke. And anytime we bought food, they would eat it. It was in the refrigerator. <laughs> they were eating our ice cream. They were eating our lunch meat. And that was causing a problem. I couldn't find a job. I applied to like so many jobs down there. And there was a mall right down the street. I just couldn't get a job. And too young. Yeah, we're too young. We, we had no money. We had all these people in the house. It was a ridiculous situation. I think, I think part of it, when she finally moved back out, I think it was such a relief to both of us. <laughs> and some of it was just young stubbornness that we were unwilling to admit that we had probably made a huge mistake until it just completely blew up. We, and it, I mean, we had s several like arguments and mm -hmm. fallouts. It was just a miserable time. Yeah. It was not what I had in my mind when I'm thinking, oh, I'm grown and I'm about to move out. But this is about but to be as amazing. Soon as, as, soon as, you moved, as soon as she moved out, I missed her. Because we didn't break up. So it wasn't yeah. like, okay, we're breaking up. I'm out of here. We didn't break up. I, I, was, I went back home. And, then and you, I think and I spent like a month back home before I came back to, to Atlanta to move into the dorms. To move into the dorms. Right. Yeah. We were having sex before we got married. And so <laughs> Ray got pregnant. And we're in, we're in college. And we were both, I was student government president at Morehouse College. We both had scholarships that required like high GPAs. So we were both like high performing students at Morehouse and Spelman. Here we are having sex, college students. And 
she gets pregnant and like duh yeah right? no, like yeah. a leads to b again, i mean yeah, again, just but it was again we tried to move in together so what happened was he we were both in college he was student government president but because of the assault that happened when he was in high school he'd had back surgeries and i honestly didn't know a lot about his physical issues and because it really wasn't a concern in the first year or so of our marriage but um, about his sophomore year in college, his back problems really started to become a problem to where it became completely debilitating. He had to resign from being student government president and he had to go back to Kentucky to have a back surgery. I, against my mother's wishes, decided I was also going to leave college and go back to Kentucky to be with him. Something Stuff that, that we I would- kill, We would kill our kids if they- like, Totally, like that sounds like a nightmare to me if my 18 or 15 year old said, yeah, mom, I'm gonna leave college to right. go be with my boyfriend. No, but that's what I did. Um, I did continue in college. I enrolled in classes where we were living, but I was there with him during his surgery. He healed, wanted to go back to Morehouse. I wanted to go back to Spelman. It was only like a semester that we were away. And after that, we decided, hey, I lived with him and his mother during that time when he was having surgery. We're like, let's just move in together again and so that summer right after my sophomore year we moved in together by July or August I was pregnant and so uh, we were like okay yeah, yeah I mean, guess we, we should get married he was a <laughs> preacher by the way I was a good little church girl by the way so we really didn't have much of a choice I mean we did of course we, but we talked about so again we're kid we're kids in a sense I mean we're young adults we're 19, Nin I was. 19 and 20 and we we talked about marriage we even we'd done like things that young couples do what would we name our babies and <laughs> stuff like that but it was it was not a planned pregnancy and right away I mean that was I think the defining moment oh, for sure. of our our young everything lives. changed yeah. after that. I mean, we we got married, we had this baby. Oh, no, but it went, no, so when we got married, so we got married, we were going to get married the week of 9/11. This is in 2001. And um early, it was August when I learned I was yeah, pregnant. Yeah, in August of 2001, she learned that she was pregnant. I was a writer for our school newspaper. And in early September, I was going to a United Nations conference in South Africa. And I was gonna be there for like eight days. We just learned that she was pregnant. I then, which kind of threw our whole world upside down. We didn't even know. We had no health insurance. We didn't know anything. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't know anything about any of that. We didn't know who we could tell. We didn't know what people would, even though it's a little different now, but that's almost 20 years ago. People's, people looked at it differently. Like people saw it as like, wow, we were like incredibly irresponsible. So I, I take this trip to South Africa and uh, we, we get back and we decide that we're gonna get married. I do an incredibly lame marriage proposal. It was like, terrible. Yeah, I mean, it was nothing like- I think it was even my suggestion. Like we knew we were gonna get married, you know, that was this is the decision we made. But I was like sitting on the bed. I was like, don't you think you should like still propose or something? And so then he like- If, gets, I, could do, if I could do a do over, most marriage proposals aren't of people in, that were in our circumstance at the time. But like we didn't get, like we loved each other and I loved her and we wanted to be together. But I think some of it was, 
we were just nervous about what it meant for us. And so we decided to get married and literally the week that we were going to get married, uh, there was September 11th. And, and you got you have to imagine even during that time that the the whole country seemed like what the hell's going on here like even even in Atlanta people in Atlanta were worried about the security of the city there and so we were going to get married that week we ended up delaying our marriage for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and we got married on uh, September 22nd of 2001. We went to uh, a pastor's house that he was kind of close with at the time. Um, and we were just like, hey, we want to get married. Kind of like asked us a couple questions, like our mar- premarital counseling. And it, But it was it was low budget, which was everything we did. Was That's low an understatement, <laughs> right? Our rings, I had like a K Jewelers credit card that we went and bought our rings on. It I only had like a couple hundred dollar credit limit, so our rings cost like nothing. But it, at the same time, it was beautiful. Like we, so we had been committed to one another, but we felt the day the day we got married. Even as we left the pastor's house who married us. It was like I was calling up my girlfriends. Hey, girls, I'm getting married today. And so, like, a couple of them, like, hopped in the car, came over to the house. I mean, it brought, like, a flower. And it was really, like, some real college craziness. But but it was after we got married, though, even that day, the next few days, it was, even though we had been committed, all of a sudden, like, we felt not just that we were committed to each other, in a, a surface boyfriend girlfriend way like we felt like hey we're in this for real oh yeah i remember being in the car we were going to like spend the night at a hotel and go to a restaurant and the minute we got in the car after we got married we were like do you feel different and he's like yeah do you feel different like it felt so i don't know i can't explain it having been with somebody for a few years as boyfriend and girlfriend we've been dating for almost four years yeah and then all of a sudden we're married it just felt completely different like so the the next eight or nine months while she was pregnant like that's one of the, one of my favorite times mm-hmm. of, of our lives for the the eight or nine months where ray was pregnant like even when i look back on it now it, it's one of my favorite times of our lives it was just it was really sweet i had the worst job ever like, <laughs> so i'm i'm a student at morehouse i'm trying to keep my GPA up and uh, I couldn't find a job. And bef- before we had a baby, before she was pregnant, uh, we weren't thinking about health insurance. We weren't thinking about diapers or, or baby furniture. So I, the only place I could get hired, you have to realize it was this post 9-11 world was an airport security job. And so I was like this really well-known student at Morehouse. I got this terrible job as an airport security guard. Working like third shift. Yeah, third shift airport security. Like I had like the mesh hat and the flashlight <laughs> and all of that. But she would she would pack my lunch. Got to like make him a breakfast and yeah, put it yeah. in a cooler. But you know, all of a sudden we grew up really quick. But we loved it, and it was. Yeah, we were going to doctor. He went to every doctor's appointment, every single one. He was working out insurance, and you know, appointments. So we we were on. It's a big part of our story. It's even a huge part of why I care about things like Medicare and Medicaid and all that stuff today. Like we were broke, and so we got 
government Medicaid. And I mean, we had to go and do interviews for it. And we were on food stamps. We had to do food stamp interviews. And so we were going through all I this stuff. I wonder if people still have to do like food stamp interviews. I don't know, but we did. I did yeah, all of that did. stuff. So I'm like, I'm interviewing for food stamps, interviewing for Medicaid and Medicare. This was before Yelp. And so we're like searching to find out who's a good OBGYN, who's going to be a good pediatrician. And basically, if it was like, oh, they went to Morehouse, oh, they went to Spelman, that was that was good enough for us. So <laughs> right, my, right. my OBs were two Morehouse graduates who were yeah. brothers who, were who had a practice. Yeah. They were great. They were so friendly and made me feel comfortable. And it was, it was a really sweet time. Yeah, I mean, so it, when I think back of all of our times together, like that was a foundational period for us where we, I think for the first time also in our relationship, we weren't thinking so much even about ourselves as individuals. I was thinking a lot about her and we were thinking about like, we're about to have this baby. And uh, so we had our, our first baby, uh, Kendi. She was just the sweetest baby ever. She and, was so uh, perfect. And he was such a great dad, like right from the beginning. Um, when she woke up in the middle of the night, he was the one walking her up and down the hallway. He was so attentive. He was smitten with her. Like the first words he said when she came out was, it's me because she's his twin. Yeah, she looks <laughs> yeah. alike. Even they now, look just she looks alike. Like me. So, yeah. I, but I mean, yeah, it was just. We grew up very quickly, but it was it was just a, it was just a beautiful time, and it, it changed sounds, our relationship yeah. too. Because I think that when we were dating, everything still felt really optional. Like you know, oh, I, I you know, I, I I like this guy right now, but I also kind of like that guy over there, or sure. you know, I'm not sure how where this is gonna be. But once we got married, and then we had Kendi, it just felt very real, very important, very serious all of a sudden. And there was a there was a part in both of us. So both of us grew up in single parent homes. Our mothers, we both had wonderful mothers who worked their butts off 9 to 5 overtime every day to to help get us to where we were. We were first generation college students and there was a part of both of us that felt like marriages didn't work in our families and there was a real part of us that felt like we got to get this right and it was a at least for me i was actively thinking like i want to be but my thought was i'm never leaving um i I want he is the never leave guy he will (laughs) never leave he doesn't walk away from any of his commitments i mean once he's committed he is all in well, part of me, you know, like neither one of us grew up with fathers in our life. I felt a huge, not just not burden, not responsibility, but I felt like this opportunity to get it right in my family. And and, and I enjoyed it. And, but there was also a huge part of us, both of us, who had no idea what a healthy marriage looked like. We'd, ne- we'd never seen it. Both of, both of our mothers have been married and divorced multiple times. But I think our church life really helped yeah. us, uh, you know, when we were first married and, and raising Kendi, we were part of a church that had really strong uh, marital, you know, couples and counseling and events and mentors. And I mean, I really credit that with getting us through those first five years. In that, so. Yeah, in, that, in Atlanta, it was not so like where we grew up in Kentucky. 
you, you really just didn't see a whole lot of successful married couples. But in Atlanta, we saw it all over the place. And so some of it was just trying to mirror and mimic what we saw. Mm -hmm. And uh, and just, I guess you're always winging marriage in a sense. But those early years, we were winging parenting and winging marriage the best we knew how. I honestly think this last these last couple of years have really caused us to take stock of our marriage. I think, you know, we were so much just thinking about making it, surviving, yeah. raising this child and 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 finishing college and and so we these were things that we were doing together. I don't really think we thought of ourselves as our role as husband and wife and couple and and what we needed to be for each other. Really not into these last couple of years because we have we've been firing off the children firing off the jobs moving here and there across the country and now that we've kind of mellowed out a little bit it's like oh hey you know kinda, in a sense so we had we had three birth children of our own but we also our oldest daughter and our youngest daughter are both our adopted nieces they're her sister's children and so our oldest daughter is 18 and she's been with us since she was in kindergarten. And so she's been with us for pretty much her entire childhood. And our youngest daughter, who's about to be five, she's been with us since the, the day hospital. She, yeah, yeah, since the day she was born. And so so much so we have five kids, which in Atlanta was not rare, but like in New York when people see us, the first question people <laughs> ask is, are those all your kids? And, and because five kids is a rare thing in New York today. But we parented and we lived from child to child, move to move, city to city. But over these past few years, it kind of caught up with us in the mm -hmm. sense that we got married so young that we weren't thinking about w what that meant for us. We started having kids so young that just over the past few years, we started saying like, hey, there's some practices and principles and things we need to think through on how we do this. And, and I also think I remember when I turned 30, it was another kind of one of those milestone moments where I felt different. And then things started happening. Like, you know, when you're in your early 20s and mid 20s, your friends are getting married. When you're in your 30s, they're getting divorced. And people that you used to hang out with and who used to be a part of your marriage life, yeah. they're not together anymore. A lot and, of our, we saw that a lot. Like yeah. I, I pastored a church in Atlanta for years and it was, it was painful because we started even seeing some of the young couples in our church get divorced. And I think we realized that even some of the problems that our friends had, we also had those problems. But sometimes it was just that we were so busy that we weren't really assessing our problems properly. And so it's just really over the past couple of years, even, even over the past few months, like we've, we elected to do marriage counseling, which helped us a lot mm -hmm. to have an unbiased Yeah, outsider. and it was just like one of those things like, why haven't we done this before? Like, you know, there are people who specialize in helping you talk through and work through these things. And here we are trying to work it out on our own. And it was just like, yeah, let's see someone. And it really was like, it was really instrumental in getting us to 
stop, look at each other, and talk about who we are as a married couple, apart from the kids, apart from the jobs, apart from his Twitter handle, you know, apart from all of those things. Who are we for each other um, and to each other? And is that sufficient? Um, I think that when I was, I always, I say now, when I was in my 20s, I didn't know what I wanted in a husband. I had no idea the qualities that would make a good husband or, or make a good partner. And it's only been over these last few years where I've been like, yeah, you know, I would like someone who cook dinner a couple times a week, you know, like, right. or I would like someone who was just as concerned about the kids' schedules as I was. Well, you know, I'll I tell you something also really that jammed me up and hurt our marriage in a sense is we've gotten comfortable in some gender roles, mm -hmm. like even gender stereotypes in a sense, because Ray had three pregnancies and we had five children. There was a period of five or six years where she was a stay-at-home mother and I got very comfortable with, even though she had been a very successful teacher before she was a stay-at-home mom, I got very comfortable with what it meant for her to be home, organizing the kids' lives, and I really checked out of a lot of my basic responsibilities of be it cooking, cleaning, things that other husbands, other friends of mine were doing. Because she was a stay-at-home mother, I just checked out of a lot of stuff. And here's what happened. When she went back to work outside of the house, I had already gotten so used to her being home that here she is now back in the workforce and I'm still not cooking, I'm still not cleaning. I'm like not holding up my part of the, of the yeah, bargain but in a sense. At the same time, you know, it wasn't just you because for five or six years, that was okay with me. Right. Um, right. I was fine with managing all of those details. And then that's the difficult part, I think, about being together for so long. Mm. All the different changes that you, who I was when I was 25 is not who I was 10 years later when I was 35. Right. And certainly not 20 years ago when I was 15. And it can be really difficult to go through all of those changes changes in different seasons of life with the same person. Gosh, it was just maybe six months ago or so, we read this uh, article about uh, this couple who said they've been married multiple times. And so I, I, looked at, I looked at the article thinking that they were talking about being married to multiple people. But what the article was talking about was the woman was saying because she had been married to her husband through several phases of life, in some ways it was like being married to multiple people. And what she and I have had to come to understand is what it was like to be married to me when I was 20 it's very different than what it was like to be married to me when I'm 30, mm -hmm. what it's like to be married to me now that I'm almost 40. And what jams a lot of couples up is when you don't mature and change and shift what it means to be married as you age and change. And when you can't accept 
the changes that your partner has gone through and, and make adjustments and still appreciate the core of who they are. Mm. You know, Sean used to love to plan vacations with me. He could care less about that anymore. It's just like, no, book the go. Disney vacation and let's go. <laughs> You know, I just go where I'm told. And, uh, right, right. I point, he goes. Like, that's how it works now. Uh, just several little things like that. And so when we read that article, it really helped to make sense of some of the what we felt like we were going through, some of the experiences that we found that we were having. Like, hey, you didn't always used to do this or be that way. or And, and can you love each other through that? Can you be humble, you know, um, through all of those kinds of changes? I think humility is the most important thing in a marriage. Yeah, marriage, I think in some ways, it forces you to look in the mirror in ways that being single may not do like you have to confront your problems every single day because there's someone there to remind you that they exist <laughs> like <laughs> just before just before we were filming this um i travel and speak a lot and she was told Rez told me multiple times, hey, when you get your travel itinerary, send those things to me. I really live for the day. And to do today well, I focus almost everything I have on today to get through it. But when you, when you have five kids, when you have a wife who's a successful teacher. When you have five jobs like you yeah, have. I can't just think, I can't just think about today. And so while that works for me, it doesn't work for the family. And so marriage forces me to, to look at and evaluate everything that I do. And uh, it just puts like problems that you could keep if you were single uh, marriage forces you to think through them, to work through them, and uh, it's and to change. Yeah, and to 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 always to change or or you won't make it. Right, <laughs> right. Totally. I mean, change is change is hard for everybody, and like there've been ways that Ray and I both have needed to grow and mature. It's just been hard, but marriage requires it of you, and um, I think the big decisions that we've had to make sometimes is. Either as individuals, we're either going to get better or we're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And there have been there have been multiple times where our marriage was literally hanging on by a thread in huge part because not not because either one of us were deliberately resistant to change, but it was just harder to to change than maybe we thought it was. So we've we've done the hard work of figuring out what the other needs to to get through these times but it's not easy these past few months have been great when we found out we were doing this interview she said i'm glad we're in love right now <laughs> right 
<laughs> because I mean, there have been other times where uh, yeah, I've been like, I don't know, I don't <laughs> right. think we got nothing to say about yeah. black love. <laughs> <laughs> right. Had we done, had we done these interviews six months ago, <laughs> I don't know, it had to have been on a different show, you know, because. But I think some of what makes our relationship rich is we've seen each other through highs and lows and, and like we've had high highs and low lows like he's got the best heart of any man i've ever known just like a pure heart his intentions are always good whether or not it works out is another <laughs> story but his intentions are always really good he's so dependable you know, he's just like a solid, decent human being. He's so sweet. Sometimes I get upset because I feel like his online persona is so different mm -hmm. than, you know, when he's his online persona is, let's get those Nazis. Let's, you know, bam, bam, bam. I can't stand this person or you wrong. But in the house, like if the kids want anything, he's the guy that they go to. He's the guy that if they are in trouble, he's talking to them because they come to me. I'm going to fuss about it. Malcolm X is a huge hero of mine, and I think his kids would say he was the same way in the house that I am in the house. Like, all of his girls worshiped the ground that he walked on. And he would say that he was the leader he was in public. Like, there was no Twitter or Facebook when Malcolm was leading, but he was the way he was in public because he loved his people. Like, he, he was the way he was out of a place of love, and even... What I think I online you just you come off so like so kind of hardcore so sometimes even kind of mean like I hate when you argue with people or I hate when you cuss you know like <laughs> right. and I'm like why did you say that that's so terrible um but because like when you're at home you're just like you're the softest sweetest nicest guy like you he's never harsh with anybody ever in the house not me not with the kids and if he is the kids are looking at each other like you know what is going on <laughs> on air and I feel like most people when they actually meet you in life they're surprised at how nice and chill you are like he's so quiet you probably never think that about him from from only knowing him online but he's so quiet he's so just mellow just a really mellow stable guy it's one of my favorite things about him because I'm like crazy no, you're not crazy. I'm not, you're not, I'm, not, crazy. I'm, not, I'm not crazy, but I'm high energy. I'm like, go, go, go. I mean, go we're yin and yang in a lot For of sure. ways. And, yeah. and I think in a lot of ways, we are very much opposite from yeah. one another. And sometimes that's made our marriage difficult because the, there are times where I'm chill and she's not. I mean, there are times where that makes it really, really hard. But at the same time, we balance each other out really well. And mm -hmm. so for me... Like the work that I do outside of the house can be so stressful that home ends up being like a refuge for me. And so like I'm I'm glad that what I do out of the house, I'm not the same. No, that no, same that age. wouldn't work. That wouldn't right, work. Right, no, right. but there's so many there's so many reasons why we've moved so much. I like to describe it as it took him a while to find himself. <laughs> he <laughs> yeah. didn't know what he wanted to be when he grew up. And so Well see that's some of the challenge is most of the guys that I went to Morehouse with, when they finished Morehouse, they were still finding themselves. They went off to school, they experimented with jobs. Like through our early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, where most of our friends were still trying to find their careers, still trying to get their feet under us, we were married. And, with kids. Yeah, married several. with kids. And, and, and it made 
rising up in our careers difficult. It made going to grad school difficult. Like mm-hmm. the things that we would have done had we not gotten married and not had kids, because we were almost kids ourselves when we got married and started our family. You know, we were unstable in our careers in our 20s, but it was still age appropriate. Like all of our friends at that stage of life were moving and trying to figure out what they wanted to do, except we did it with a marriage and a family. Oh, okay. Maybe. I don't think it was all of our friends. I think I think that's what you tell yourself to make yourself feel <laughs> maybe, better. Maybe. Most of our friends did what they went for co- to college to do. What? And no, I just think it was you. Like, if you look back, most people think Sean's just, he's just been on the scene for like a year or two or whatever. <laughs> but like people who really know him, he's been, he's had like so many different careers. He's been a writer. He's been a life coach. He's been a pastor. He was a, a security guard for a, a, a quick hot minute. But he's had all these, and they were always the same vein. They were always helping careers, um, always justice kind of careers. He's been a, a, a counselor at a detention center for kids, like that kind of thing. But I do, I think it just took you a while to settle into. And I think you're right, it was definitely age appropriate. But when you're doing it with a wife and kids, it's very difficult. You're moving to California to take this job, then you're moving to Kentucky and you're gonna do this. Then, oh yeah, you were also an entrepreneur. He started started a business with uh, a friend here in New York and so we moved to New York and so it was just like okay now I'm gonna do this now I'm gonna do that and it sounds crazy and I guess maybe it was but living it at the time it felt more like an adventure I was a stay-at-home mom we had these kids and we would just hop around and we were having a good time I mean Atlanta was our home base like for most of our adult lives we lived in Atlanta yeah but um we lived in California for several years. We before we moved to New York. Now we lived in New York for for a while. We we're both from Kentucky. We moved back there for a little bit. I was actually I was working as a director of communications for an environmental charity in Santa Monica, in Los Angeles, and uh, this was in the summer of 2014. I was not doing the justice work that people know me for now. I'd always had a, a heart for uh, fighting for justice. Even as a, a student, I, I protested police brutality. I spoke out on injustice two decades ago. But in some ways, as a like as the provider for my family, I kind of moved on from being an activist, and I was just taking jobs to provide for the family. And um, I got an email from a buddy of mine. This was in 2014. He had just seen a video on YouTube and it had not yet. You have to think back. So much has happened over these past few years. But at that time, there had never been a viral video on social media of police brutality. And even this video had not yet gone viral. So he described to me this man here in New York who was confronted by police and harassed by police. And then an officer like grabbed him from behind and started choking him. And uh, he said the officer choked him to death. And he said, Sean, the whole thing is on YouTube. So I'm at my job, like it's a really cushy job in, in Santa Monica, right on the beach, doing something completely different. And I clicked on this link and I saw the video of the man that we came to know as Eric Garner. And uh, this was in July of 2014. And I, I can't explain what happened to me. I was so shook up by what I saw that for those next few weeks, 
I started doing like a horrible job at Global Green where I was working. And they were so sweet and kind to me that they, they knew I was doing a terrible job as I was focusing on this story of what happened to this man. Three weeks after Eric Garner was killed, there was a brother in Ohio named John Crawford who was shot and killed by police at a Walmart. A few days later, Mike Brown was killed in Ferguson. And at the time I wasn't working for, I wasn't writing for any newspaper. I wasn't known as an activist. All I was doing was talking about these stories of injustice just on Facebook and Twitter, just saying like, hey, this is wrong. And I was trying to tell, I'd always, I've always loved telling stories. And I'd noticed a lot of the media coverage of these stories didn't include the perspective of families. They were always from the perspective of, of police, of the government. And so I just made it my business to, to engage these families, to help them tell their stories. A few months later, I got hired by a news company in California who literally just asked me to write the same stories I've been writing on Facebook, but to write them for them. And uh, I never thought I would be a full-time journalist. It was, it was not my plan. I was a columnist for our newspaper in college at Morehouse, but it was not like my career path. So I did that for a year. And then uh, we got an opportunity. I got offered a job in New York for the New York Daily News as their senior justice writer. And uh, I've written over the past three years now, almost 1,500 stories, which is crazy about injustice in America. And, and so uh, it's interesting because he's always been somebody, you know, like when we were in in high school and we were at church, he was like the wonder kid preacher, you know, he was preaching <laughs> when he was 17 years old and going to church conventions and stuff and really well known. And then when he got to Morehouse, he became like the youngest student government president ever elected. And so we couldn't walk from one end of the campus to the other without him being stopped a million times when he was a pastor everything he did was he became known as like the Facebook pastor and and so he was like always somebody always somewhat well known but then when he went into this career as a journalist and a very public figure online that was a whole mm. other level of I don't like to call it celebrity but you know just of being known and that has been really difficult for me personally to adjust to because it's just not ever how I saw myself or our lives I've been a public leader for pretty much my entire adult life, like wherever I was. But what I was doing at that point in time was not was not very public at all. Like it was no. very much a behind the scenes job where I mean I was literally crafting media campaigns and and so not only were we not prepared for me to do what I'm doing, I had no idea that things would unfold in the country the way they've been unfolding with police brutality. Like we had, you could not predict necessarily that the Black Lives Matter movement would become the movement. Like in 2014, I would never have imagined the notion that Donald Trump would become president <laughs> would seem like an absurd joke in 2014. And so as I entered into this world of activism and journalism, I never knew that it would be as volatile as it's been. 
And so, and as the per, I think what's most difficult is the personal attacks. That's the most difficult part. That I remember when the, kind of the story broke about his race a couple of years ago, and I was leaving my school. I was walking to my car with my kids, and my girlfriend called me, and she was like. What's going on? What is all this that I see about Sean on on CNN and this and that? And I was like, What are you talking about? Like when you're a school teacher, you're inside of that building, and all day, that's all you know. Like you don't get on Facebook, you don't check anything. It's just first graders all day long. So I had not heard anything, and all of a sudden, I checked my voicemail messages, and I've got a message from all these shows, the Today Show wanting me to come on, and CNN, and like The View, and, and all these. And I was like, whoa! One one day, you're just nobody knows your name. You're a first grade school teacher, and your husband is kind of well known as an activist. And then the next day, it's like, bam. And we felt like we couldn't even leave the house. I mean, it was it was awful. I mean, it was really one of the most difficult periods of time ever, where you feel like you know people are saying things about this man that you've known since you were 15 years old, this man that you love, that you have no secrets from, and people are making all these assumptions and 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 coming to all these conclusions about who he is and what his intentions are and. And our kids are hearing it, and they're seeing it. And I mean, I remember I went home that day, and I just laid on the bed and boohoo cried. Like, what is my life? There were a couple times where I was, my name was the top trending topic in the world. And when you see that as an outsider, you have no idea what it feels like to be in the center of that storm.、Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've seen that happen to people dozens of times, but because it's not you. You have no idea the level of of pressure. You you think you could handle it in a certain kind of way, but then when you actually experience it, and there's just a lot of damage that's done. Like when people tell stories about you as a public figure, they're not thinking about your emotional well-being. They're not <laughs> thinking about the health and security of your family. And so, like even as we we've experienced, you know. Death threats and all. When you experience, like when you experience it, the the level of pressure is fear and know, anxiety and and hurt and just so many different emotions and wanting to protect my kids and、um, and so like everything I do online is private. I don't have Twitter.、Uh, my Facebook is private. My Instagram is private. And I very much am a very private person, and I'm still weirded out. If ever we're out, people always recognize him. We can't go anywhere without him being stopped, particularly here where we live in Brooklyn. But if somebody recognizes me, I'm really weirded out by it. I'm like, <laughs> I look like every black girl that you see walking down the street. How do you know who I am? And it, you know, I could have married a guy who punched in and punched out every day. That would have been fine for me. That was never going to be who he. Was. I think my first priority was always taking care of my kids, because one of the, the discussions that we have is he did not know what it would all entail, but this is a life he's chosen as an adult, as a fully formed, you know, educated man. This is the path that he、sure. has chosen, or whether he feels called to it or not. This is what he's doing, and I do believe he's called to the work. However, my my babies, they didn't ask for any of this, and so my first. 
first priority is always, are they okay? Are they safe? My kids have been stopped on the street and people said, I know who your father is. And I'm like, okay, is that nefarious? I know who your father is or I know who your father is and I appreciate his work. Like that's like my mind as a mom is like, okay, that's not okay with me. I want you to scrub all of their pictures off. Like that's what I'm thinking. But that day and, and in the days after, I was concerned about him because I know what a sensitive topic it was. I was concerned about his mother. Um, until you've had all of your worst moments out. And the, thing, and the thing is, like, I guess one of the weirdest experiences that I've had is people acting like they were exposing me right. when they didn't expose anything. Like, right. we've been together since we were kids. There's nothing about me, my past, my life, my story, my experience that she didn't know, that my whole family wasn't That our best of. friends didn't know and, or weren't aware and, and of. And so, like, I always, I always knew that, like many people, that my, my past and my life were complicated, but that was these were things we had always worked out. And in a lot of ways, it was just, it was just my personal story. Mm -hmm. But I had even, I had been a pastor for many years. Like, I had talked about what it meant to grow up the way I grew up. I had talked about my life in intimate detail on from the stage. Even like when I was student government president at Morehouse, I told my story. Like so that's why when the media acted like they were exposing me, a lot of people were weirded out. People who knew me were weirded out by it because it was like, we'd already talked about this. Like we'd already explored it. And, and there was a piece like so I knew that I knew that Ray had my had my back through it, but there was a piece that I had that I wanted to make sure our kids were well. And so when she says like her first priority was to make sure the kids were safe, that gate even gave me some peace. So I think less than even having all of your family business in public was stressful. It was just like there were just a lot of Lies. lies and craziness. so many lies so many from sources that you would think would be reputable and you feel powerless you feel like okay they have a, a stage and a set and a nightly program and how how can what i say the truth i try to tell how can that come combat what's being said that's not true in 2015 i had already spent about a year fighting back against police brutality and had really become known for that. And so I don't, I had been a public leader in many different ways before then. And like the story of my racial background and who my parents were, none of that stuff ever mattered. But in the summer of 2015, something really weird started happening. I started noticing like several really weird lies about me on social media. In a lot of ways, these like ultra conservative media outlets. One of them at the time was Breitbart, which at the time was seen as like a small rogue media outlet, would publish the strangest stories about me. Like one of them was that we were lying about how many kids we had. And like, I, I, I just saw it and didn't think much about it. And then I would literally, I would have to come to say, no, here's how many kids we have. Then there was a, an article saying, I'd lied about ever having spinal surgeries. This was before something that was about to happen blew up. There was an article saying that I had never been assaulted before. Like I had this, I was assaulted when I was 15 years old in high school. It was like a vicious moment in my life. 
that hundreds of people knew about. Like it was a, a public event, something that not just my family and friends experienced with me, but it was like something well known in our town. And so there were articles saying like, hey, that moment never happened. So as I started seeing all these things and I would debunk them, I saw that they were trying to throw anything at me that they could just to see what would stick. And so I would bat it off and I would bat it off. Well, in that same summer, uh, Rachel Dolezal was exposed as being basically a white woman in blackface in Spokane, Washington. It was a crazy story. And I remember as I saw it unfold that she just for a few years, apparently, had decided to shift her life from being a publicly known white woman who had at one time sued Howard University for racial discrimination because she said they discriminated against her as a white woman, that she shifted her life and image into being a black woman. And it became this huge public debacle. Well, I started seeing almost maybe a week after Rachel Dolezal was exposed. At first it started as a joke, like, people would start to ask light-skinned black folk on Twitter, is there anybody else among us that is faking like Rachel Dolezal? But it was just a joke. And what I saw from those jokes, which at first came from black folk, so you would literally see people ask Jesse Williams or just whoever it is, imagine a light-skinned black man, a light-skinned black woman, people would, would ask, but it was just hilarious. In a few days, people started saying that I was like the male Rachel Dolezal. And I had the thought at first, just like when people said we lied about how many kids we had, that I lied about ever having back surgeries or I lied about I was ever, ever being assaulted. My thought at first was this would just go away and could have only happened the way it happened in the time that it happened. And so in the kind of time of this juicy, weird story about Rachel Dolezal, the story about me basically being a white man who was lying about having a black family or black parents, black parents, that uh, it just it just grew and grew. And even then, I had the thought that this will only be a conservative story. And so we started talking about it. And I talked about it with my friends and I'm like, do you think this is going to go away? I even had a few of my friends who were like media and PR professionals. And the way they had always been trained was don't talk about it and it will go away. And so I made this decision that I wasn't going to talk about it, that it was that it was ridiculous and that my silence would eventually caused the story to die out and go away. I think that was a huge mistake that I made because a lot of those PR guys were trained before the age of social media. And- Well, really what happened was, it, it, it really was the catalyst for it all. Um, like the day I walked out of my school building and I have all these phone calls was someone got your birth certificate and on the birth certificate his mother is listed but his mother's husband at the time is listed as his father which is a white man and 
And when once I think that was the catalyst that really just kind of broke it wide open and, and really made it an enormous story, like that day is when it went from just like random chatter to like, okay, now you're on CNN every night, now you're on TMZ. Right, and so what, so I, I made two decisions. The first decision was, I'm not gonna talk about it. It'll go away. It's rooted in a lie. And I had these really, like several of the guys who were, who were advising me worked for like world-class companies who were saying, starve it out, don't talk about it. And so as I almost just pretended like it wasn't going on, it got bigger and bigger and bigger till eventually it became the number one trending topic, not just in the United States, but in the in the world. And it was talked about in newspapers all over the country. It was featured on, on mainstream news outlets, CNN and others. And finally, I realized like, wow, my silence has caused this to spiral out of control. I don't and, and, know if no, that, no, I well, think then, it was always gonna do that. Well then, but then secondly though, well see, I, I didn't have a chance to get ahead of it. Like there was a time where I could have come out and said, hey, here's my story before it blew up. But I waited until it blew up thinking it will go away and it never did. Well, I but think some of the misconception about who you are, you're because you live your life in such a public way, people think of you as a public figure, which I guess you are, but you're actually very private in your private life. And so some of it was you didn't want to discuss it. You It wasn't something that you went around talking about all the time, simply because that's a lot of the way your family works. You're, you're very private people and you have the right to your privacy. Yeah, I think, well, the second, like the the... The second big decision that I made was that to explain who I was racially would require me to tell a messy family story. And like, you'd have to know me to know how close I am with my mother, who is this sweet, reclusive white woman in rural Kentucky, that there was not going to be a part of me who was going to come out and say, here is who my mother has sex with in 1978. Because that was basically the only way I could say, hey, who conservative media outlets say that I am, who now national mainstream outlets say that I am, it's not true because who my mother was with in the 70s is not who you're saying she's with. <laughs> and like everything in me wanted to avoid going that way. And so I had made up in my mind, first, I'm just not going to talk about it. Secondly, I'm not going to expose my mother in a way that, like, she lived in a small rural country town where people talk. And already, all of our business is on the news. And so even then, I had to make a decision it was it was a painful like a a painful moment. Am I still just going to be quiet about it, or am I going to say, "Here was the nature of my birth"? And I think the only reason it really mattered. I think he definitely could have chosen to not say anything about it. It's his business. It's his mother's business. But I think it mattered because it called into question the um, sincerity behind the work that he was doing, mm -hmm. the sincerity behind these families that he was advocating for. And so... Um, but see, what the whole thing was not about, because here's the thing, 
Conservative media outlets don't care who my parents are. Their goal was to discredit me as a person and as a leader. And when they tried to do it in five other ways that didn't work, and then all of a sudden they found something that was so juicy and salacious that it seemed to stick, they wouldn't let go. And when the mainstream media saw that, oh wow, this is something people are tweeting about and talking about, it hopped a fence that I never thought it would hop where it went from conservative gossip to being on the nightly news. And so like it went from conservative gossip to TMZ, then to nightly news. And the only way that I could come back out and say, hey, what you're saying about me is not true, would be for me to talk about something that in our family, we just didn't talk about. While we had worked all of these things out ourselves and had a degree of peace about them, I just wasn't prepared to put all my family business out there. And um, it was painful. It was extremely painful for him, for his mother, or there are still family members we don't talk to now because of everything that happened then. People who talk to the media, people who disagree with his decision to, to speak openly about it. I mean, it really took a toll on, on us, not on our marriage, really it didn't on our marriage. I think it, it made us stronger, brought us closer together because we had each other, like we needed each other. And then, and then even in the end, like even me personally, kind of weathering that storm, it ultimately even helped me as a leader. I don't think it had the desired, you know, consequences that the people who, who fabricated this stuff from the beginning, I think intended it to take me out as a leader. And ultimately having weathered it ended up making me more known. But it's, if we could pinpoint several of the, like the most challenging moments of being a public figure, that was rough. We, even then though, we decided Every new show imaginable asked us to come on and talk about it as a family. And we just decided, like, listen, we're not doing this. No. And it caused us as a family unit, Ray and I and our kids, to grow very close with one another, protective of one another. We were always close because of all the, the moving we'd done. And I was a stay-at-home mom. We spent so much time together. I homeschooled my kids. So we were always close. But that definitely made us a lot closer yeah. going through that. Back in, I don't even know what year that was when we first moved to California, that was a really difficult time. Um, the church he was pastoring had really fallen apart. He had three jobs and he lost all three of them in like a day or two of each other. Yeah, it was a mess. Uh, we really had to like pack up and leave Atlanta. For the first time, we had never been through anything like that. No, we where... had never moved. We we went to college in Atlanta. We got married. We had our kids. We started our careers. We'd have been in Atlanta, in Atlanta for like 10 years. Yeah. It was all we really knew. All of our kids were born there. Yeah, and so when, when the church fell apart and when he lost those other two jobs it was like the first time I'd ever seen him depressed like he was a busy guy like a go-getter like on to the next thing and it I think for a year or two he just couldn't find his way through and I think for those couple years I really felt like I was carrying our marriage mm. emotionally yeah you know so much of my identity of who I saw myself as was wrapped up in what I did. Mm -hmm. And so I've been a pastor 
for my entire 20s. I had imagined myself being a pastor for my entire life. And so all of a sudden, when I was no longer a pastor, I didn't know who I was. Like my, who I saw myself as was not first as a Christian, not first as a man. I saw myself so much as this role that when I no longer had the role, I was struggling to figure out where I was going with life, what was next for me in life. And so right in the midst of that, we upped and moved. I got a job offer in California and it was a really unstable time because we moved to a place that we didn't know. Mm. We had never even visited before. Yeah, we never, <laughs> we never visited California. We didn't have any friends in California. We had no family there, and yet we, we were taking this big, demanding family with us. So it was an unstable time for us. And in the midst of that instability, like when I think back over, wow, what was hard, it wasn't that there were these horrible moments, but small things would spiral out of control. For because, sure. Because we were already kind of, our, our lives were unstable. Um, we were stressed, you were depressed, uh, and I don't even think he knew he was depressed. I don't think I knew it. I can say this now looking back on it, but that's definitely what it was. And just like you said, it, it was never like a big thing that happened. And I think that's a lot of what we've learned in our marriage is that when you allow small things to fester and to grow, and when you don't learn how to fight right and, and fight in a way that shows that you still love each other, or you don't know how to ask for what it is that you need and you don't know how to respond to what your spouse needs. It's, it's those things over time that I think really stress a marriage if you don't don't learn how to deal with it appropriately yeah, and, and I, in the moment. Our lowest, our lowest moments have always been when one of us was very unhappy or depressed individually. And what would happen is problems that we could kind of just barrel right through and weather through when our marriage was really healthy. All of a sudden, if one of us was struggling in some way emotionally or personally, problems that were relatively small during good times, be it financial struggles or whatever they may be, would just become magnified during the hardest times. And, and But you know, we have a really deep love for each other, a really strong commitment that I think, you know, when you're a teenager and you're into somebody, like you just latch onto that thing and you don't <laughs> let go and you kind of obsess over it. And I think having that kind of attachment so early on, and I think we've only deepened it and matured it over time. And so, yeah, we just, we work through those things and get better. We're celebrating um, our 15th wedding anniversary on Friday. That's how long we've been married. We've been together for about 20 years. Gosh, I've learned so much about myself since being married. Right. Um, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I, I mean, I've learned, I, mean, I could think of several things that come to my mind. Like, because it's our 15th anniversary coming up, I've been reflecting a lot. Like when I was out shopping for a gift earlier today, <laughs> but like as we get ready for our 15th year of marriage, it's just caused me to reflect a lot on who we've been for one another. There's a part of me that likes to go at problems alone. And, uh, but marriage has kind of exposed me in a sense that 
it, I mean, it's caused me to, to know that it just doesn't work well. The more I share my life, my challenges, the more, the more I share the load of what it means to just be a human being with her instead of just trying to do it all on my own, the better life is. But it's my natural tendency to keep my problems to myself, to keep my challenges to myself. And the more, the more I go against that, the easier it is for me. What's so crazy is I've been totally pumping up this anniversary in my mind. Like it's a big one, 15 years. That was last year. Oh my God, we're idiots. <laughs> this, this is what happens. Okay, this is what happens when, so I have, I have five jobs and we have five kids. Like there was a point a couple years ago where we struggled to remember the exact date of one of our kids' birthdays. It's terrible. We put her birthday wrong on every calendar for years. <laughs> like, we were off by a day for years. I know years. that sounds crazy. Okay, I know that yeah. sounds crazy. <laughs> but, so it just started where we accidentally had the wrong day. And then we then had the wrong day for several years. And we had to literally go back and look at the documents. Look the pressure how did you figure out you had it mixed up? Oh. Because sometimes we'd say one thing and sometimes we'd say another. Or like his mom would be like, when is Savannah's birthday? And I'd be like, oh, I think it's, well, wait. And then, I don't know, one day we were just like, let's just get this straight once and for all. <laughs> and we took out the birth certificate. It's so bad. I feel so bad yeah, for her. How, yeah, so <laughs> it's just one of those things. One of those like, things. Okay, yes, we've been married for 16 years. Thank sorry, you. <laughs> no, thank <laughs> you for telling me. Wow. So now you get to celebrate both. Oh, my gosh. We, we missed an opportunity last year to, like, make it a big deal. I'm sure we did. I'm sure we knew it was 15 last year. I don't know. Because I was pregnant, I should have known. Kendi's 15, one more year. We've been married for 16 years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Maybe she's 17. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh no, we're idiots. It's us. Oh my gosh. I think because we've been together for so long, it can be difficult to separate what I've learned about myself as a result of this marriage right. or what I've learned about myself just as a result of living and maturing and going through my 20s and my 30s. They go hand in hand, you know. Um, everything I've done has been done with this man, you right, know, right. in I the context of marriage. Yeah, because it is really hard to think of our lives because we've been together our entire adult lives, everything we've experienced as adults, we experience together. And so there's also a real part of me that um, there have been, been several times where when our marriage was struggling, where we came close to separating. And when we, when we weathered those storms and made it, on the other side, I've always been so glad that we made it. I think there's a huge part of me that has that believes now more than ever that life is better together for sure yeah and you know i think it took weathering those storms it took going through counseling and and confronting our own insecurities and inadequacies for me to really see like no life is better together the things that we get to share with one another like um we had a sweet moment just last night where we were drinking punch and eating nuggets in the bed in the bed and it was just like 
We just looked at each other and just were like, I love you. <laughs> yeah, like, this is fun. This is interesting. It's 11 o'clock and we're just eating random nuggets and drinking punch <laughs> right, together. Right. That was fun. Yeah. yeah, just those kind of moments.